Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for another Wednesday, Lord, here in your house, God. Where we find ourselves today, God, we know your word says that there's nothing better than coming to your house, God. Better one day in your courts than a thousand selves where God. I pray, God, that people tune in tonight to the broadcast and that people here, God, may also receive the message that you have for them today. Father, go look for your children. Holy Spirit, let your presence fill this atmosphere tonight. We thank you for your word. And we open our hearts, we open our hands to what you want to say and give us, Lord, tonight. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. So let's go to Ephesians 2, 1. Ephesians 2, 1. Open up your Bibles. If you brought your Bible, please open it up. What's it called? Today, there's a new theme that we're, we're starting to do a new, um, every single month, we kind of have like a new series that we're always opening up. This series that we're starting today, it's a new series, it's called There's Nothing Better Than You. So someone say it with me, there's nothing better than you. All right, cool. And so we're going to talk about these things and God is going to speak to us through his word about what not, nothing compares close to what he, he is of who he is. Right. And so I got a little I got a little um, psalm before of one verse of a psalm before we get to Ephesians. So among the dead, no one proclaims your name who praises you from the grave. OK, so right here is David talking the Psalms. And so uh, we're, we're, that the dead and remember us Christians, when we die, we don't die. We go to sleep and we wake up in heaven. But people of this earth that did not accept Jesus and people back then, because Jesus hasn't came to the earth, they pretty much they end up on the ground. They don't they don't they don't go up to heaven yet because Jesus hasn't came up yet. So the thing is that David talks about among the dead who proclaims your name, because back in the day, once you're dead, you're, you're dead. You're not. There's no, I mean, there is heaven, but since the devil had the keys of death and all that, and Jesus hasn't taken away, therefore they still lie in the ground. And so let's go to Ephesians 2, 1. And if you're there, say amen. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by the grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Let's stop there. So, we were once dead in our transgressions and our sins, and we deserve, punish we deserve hell as a punishment, right? We were dead. Yet God came and rescued us from this grave, and that we may extol and praise His name. Amen. How many of you guys can praise God for your salvation today? Yeah. All right, great. 
And so the thing is that no one could deliver us. Not your best friend, not your money. Nothing can deliver you from sin and the power of hell. We were all deserving, like I said, hell and the grave. But Jesus Christ, who is alone worthy to open the scroll and to die for us by his blood, he delivered us from hell. Amen. If God has saved you from hell, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And so Jesus is the one we glorify because of his goodness and his mercy and grace. Amen. So that, that's and so there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. There is nothing in this world that can compare to what Jesus has given us. And that is a gift of eternal salvation. Amen. How many of you guys are grateful for that? Maybe some of you guys are like, just want to praise God for like, um, say, you know, some of you guys are getting at the age of getting a car or a new car, perhaps. And you don't really praise God anymore for your salvation. You just kind of just want to praise him if you get something new. A new iPhone, new console, whatever it may be. But God deserves the praise for delivering you from the grave. Amen? And so, David in the Psalms, and that's not my main passage though, okay? We're still getting to the main passage. That's the introduction right now. That's just introduction right now because God has something that he wants to talk to us through his word. So say this with me, my glory. So David talks about my heart a lot in the Psalms. But in the Hebrew, when you literally translate that from my heart, in the Hebrew, it's actually called my glory, which it was a way of referring to one's core of one's being. Okay? So if I talk about your glory, I'm not really talking that all your glory is in the sense that, you know, I worship you, but that you have a glory. I'm talking about your heart. That's the glory. Amen? And so... David uses a lot of this to reference himself at many times. So the thing about David, if you guys know who King David was, I'm pretty sure most of you guys know who King David was, right? Amen. If you don't know who King David was, well, read Samuel and you go, we'll find out. First and second Samuel. We're not getting in there, but the whole point is that David was a human like us. And he was constant. Like I said, David was either crying, praising or telling God to crush his enemies. All the times in the Psalms, you, you like, but and, and some of them are Thanksgiving Psalms. Yes. But the thing is that David wrote most of the songs. And the thing is about, you know, I know some of you guys know what narcissist, Jesus is. And exegesis is right. But the thing about narcissist, Jesus or whatever it's called, excuse me. It's kind of a weird word, to be honest. And the thing is that. It talks about the narcissist is only about yourself. Now, I'm not King David. You're not King David. But let me tell you, if you're at the house of the Lord today, then you're a man or a woman after God's own heart. That's how the Bible described David. He was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was quick to repent. Even before he killed Uriah or slept, uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, he was a man after God's own heart. And the thing is, though, that David was, uh, was after the Lord's heart because he wanted he just wanted all of God. He was quick to um, exalt him. He was quick just to be steadfast, to look for him, to exalt him in every single way. And the thing is, though, Narcissus Jesus makes you say like, oh, I'm David. But in a sense, yeah, we know we're not David, but you are in a sense David because you're a man and a woman after God's own heart. Amen. Yeah. So the Bible is not. Yes, it all points to God himself. 
Yes, and I agree with that. But the thing is, though, the Bible is between who? Between the devil, Jesus, and ourselves. Humanity. And David here, he's mostly talking like, I, I, I exalt the Lord. I do this. I do that. And God, you, but he's always pointing the glory, his glory to God. So in a sense is that David wrote these psalms out of deep intimacy and real life situations. And so David had like a bunch of downfalls and a lot of, he had a lot of highs and lows. Sometimes he was in the mountain praising God with all his might. And sometimes he was crying at hell. And so right here in this psalm, we're going to go to Psalms 30. Let's go to Psalms 30. And so David right here was, I believe he was already king. He was king because the, the, the psalm says it's the dedication of the temple. And so the thing is that David, first of all, he killed a Goliath. And then he was persecuted by Saul for many years. He was living in valleys a lot. All the time. And he had chances to kill Saul, but he never did. And then God, and it's in a, like he was around probably 16 or 17 when he received the promise he was going to become king of Israel. He was 35 years old when he became the king of Israel. That's a lot of years. Amen. None of us here is 35 years old. I'm the closest to 35 years old. And so the thing, he had a lot of battles. But then after he became king, he kind of became self-sufficient. He became, he, he grew arrogant. Because sometimes we're at, we're at low, we're, at, like, we're so, so humble. We're like, yeah, no problem. But when we're on top, we're like, oh, whatever. Right? And so when we come arrogant, he, grown, he grew to forget about who, that it was God Almighty who made him king over Israel. That it was God who sustained him as the king of Israel. And so let's read the psalm. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord, for you have lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies glow over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, brought, you, Lord, brought me up out of the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, you, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gain if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praise and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Amen. This psalm starts about Thanksgiving and extolling the Lord. Because the thing is that when you're on top, you have a lot of enemies. You have a lot of haters. They're like, why is he the one? Why is he the one leading? Why is he gets the promotion? Why does he get the car? Why does he get the wife? Why does she get the husband? Why does she get promoted? And the thing is that there's a bunch of haters. And so these enemies of David were like, were already saying stuff. He's like, oh, God's not going to heal him. Look at him. He, he killed Uriah. He slept with that, that girl, committed adultery. He's going to die for sure for his sin. But what did David have? David cried out for the mercy of God. And he even confesses his little self-reliance on verse 6. 
and says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Because when you're on top, you think it's by your own strength that you're on top. You think that it's by your own smarts that you became on top. But it was the Lord who, who in a sense, it's like chess. He knows how to move the queen. He knows how to move the knight, the pawns, and he knows how to strike and when to strike. It's God who puts the pieces and moves the pieces in your life so that you may enter into your promised land, into your promise. And the promise was of David was to be king over Israel. But you know that even though him being king, even though he already got what he wanted, it wasn't enough. Because there's nothing better than the presence, than having the Lord Almighty as a companion with you. Because you'll want to get the best car. You want to get the best phone, but once you get it, it starts dying on you. It starts wearing out, but Jesus never wears out. And your salvation is working from glory to glory that one day you'll enter into glorification. Yes, that's what we believe. Glorification is when you become perfect. You become straight, like you're already holy, but you become all this. You're sanctified through your whole life, but in glorification is when you're just like, you don't sin anymore at all. Like at all. And that's when you enter heaven. But that's only when you go to the Lord. With the Lord. Or unless he comes from heaven. This next couple of months. And comes and rescues us. You might see your neighbor. He's like. How do you stay here? And you're like. Oh man. What are you doing here? You know. But be careful. Don't get left behind. Don't play. Don't play the Christian. God cannot be played with. Can't play with something that can't be played with. Amen. Right? And so David. He was arrogant. He felt secure. And you know right there in verse 12, that my heart. Remember, my heart means my glory. My glory may sing your praises. So who, in a sense, when you feel secure and you feel like you've you done it yourself, that you're there by yourself, that you made it, you don't sing to God anymore. You don't praise God the way you used to because when David became king, he was dancing in his underwear. But when he felt secure, he became complacent. He became a person who's grown arrogant. He forgot who it was that it was God Almighty, not him that made him king. That was the one who gave him victory over his enemies. And the thing is, though, it, the glory was for himself. That's what happens with us humans. Our glory sometimes when it's us who thinks made it this far and we forget about God, our glory starts worshiping ourselves in vanity instead of the Lord. And only God deserves all praise and glory. Amen. And so the thing is, though, this trial and circumstance of David's sickness brought forth fresh praise and joy unto the Lord. How many of you guys need a fresh praise and joy unto the Lord? How many of you guys? I mean, I don't want none of you guys to get cancer, but, you know, forget the cancer. Like, let's bring another try. I mean, you can stub your toe and, you know, God heals it like that. You know, probably need, you know. Fresh praise. You're like, oh my gosh, God healed me. That usually takes like two weeks to get healed, but it got healed in two minutes, right? Not cancer, forgive me, Lord. Anyway, the thing is though, is that none of the things, even as king, he couldn't save himself. The doctors couldn't save him. His all his his own, you know, glory in the palace couldn't save him. From going down to the grave. And so that brings me to my next point. The realm of the dead. When it talks about the pit. Back in the day. When you dug a well. Because that was one of the only ways to get 
water is to go you dig a hole. And this hole wasn't like, like the movie holes, only six foot deep, six foot in diameter. No. This was 75 deep, feet deep. And you're hitting some like slime, woodcutter stone. And so the thing is, though, you're going in deep. And, and you fell into that pit. You ain't coming back up by trying to climb out. You need someone. You need to call for help and hope that they hear you and bring a rope. Amen? So it's impossible. Just like it was impossible for you and I to become saved from our own sin. That's why a lot of people are failing in life because they're trying to save themselves and not helping themselves to the help that God already gave through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so hell is a real place. If you don't believe that yet, Lord help you. But I know I received the Lord because I needed to go to heaven. I didn't want to be in hell because in hell, people, even Jesus gives us an account of Lazarus. Not the Lazarus he's raised from the dead. He gives us another account of Lazarus. This Lazarus, he was wealthy, lived rich, had no worries. And he compared him to a poor guy. At the end of life, one went to hell and the other went to heaven. And he said that he wanted a tip of his tongue to be dipped in water, just to be touched with water because it was so hot. Imagine today. Today's, right, it's ashy. It's a little suffocating a little bit. It's not that suffocating, but you get the point. You get when it's hot, you just want to be, have cold water, drink. And so the thing he's, he's describing now hell is, and then Lazarus goes, hey, you know, warn, let me go warn my family about hell. And he's like, nah, that's why they have the prophets. He's like, if they don't believe the prophets, they won't believe you. Because that's the thing about us humans. Even if God comes sometimes to us on our sleep, even in front of us and tells us, hey, you're going to die together. Sometimes people just won't believe. And that's the truth. That really is the truth. You could tell them, hey, God told me this about you. And they're like, how would you know that? And they still will follow their own ways and their own ways will lead them to hell. I don't know about you, but when I got presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, I knew I did not want to go to hell. And I acknowledged that I needed a savior for my sins. Because once I was dead in my transgressions and my sin, that he was the one who defeated the grave. And it's not by works, but a gift from God. Right here in the verse on verse nine, silent, that particular word silent. When he goes, what is gain if I am silenced? That word right there, pay attention to this word, is to be motionless in this context for the dead. If I've seen a dead corpse, my own brother's corpse, let me tell you, he's not moving. He's motionless. What does that tell us here in this scripture? When we ourselves are dead and go to hell, we're motionless. We're, our spirit is in hell, but our body is motionless. And in hell, we're not concerned about praising God. What we're concerned about is like, how do I, how do I get out of here? And there's no way out of there. Amen? So David is like, if I go to the realm of dead, now he's not going to hell. I, David, thank God he's with Jesus right now. But he's talking about going into the grave. And remember, I just told you guys that back in the day, they didn't go to heaven right away. They stayed in the ground. How do I know this? Samuel the prophet 
when the witch rose him up from, he said, he told Saul the king, because Saul was, was troubled and he told the witch, hey, resurrect for me Samuel the prophet. And the witch was like, you tricked me. And then she's like, like, well, just do it either way. And the witch, and he tells the Saul, Saul tells the witch, what do you see coming out of the grave? And she said, I see an old man coming out. And Samuel goes, tell Saul, 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 why do you wake me up from my sleep? They're sleeping in the grave. And so in the grave, you cannot praise God. What is gained to God? In a sense, that's what David is arguing here. That's what he's telling. He's questioning. He's actually he's asking the right questions because he's saying, what is gained to you, God, if I go down to the grave? Can the grave praise you? Can the grave proclaim your faithfulness? No. So God rescued David that he might sing his praises once again. And not just once again, but forever. To remind him that it was him who made him king over Israel. There was another king called King Hezekiah. How many of you guys know who King Hezekiah was? Hope you guys know who King Hezekiah is by now. So anyway, Hezekiah... You know who he was known for? He was known as the king who trusted in the Lord like no other. But Hezekiah became sick. And Hezekiah was about to become sick. Isaiah the prophet tells him, hey, get your stuff ready. You're about to go to the grave. And, Hezek and he leaves his palace. And Hezekiah just humbles himself before the Lord. And just starts praying it up a storm. And this is what God does. Right when Isaiah the prophet is leaving the palace, God tells Isaiah, go back and tell Hezekiah this. I've added you, I think it was 10 or 15 years to your life and you shall live. That's what happens when you tell God the right questions. Can the grave praise you, Lord? Can it proclaim your faithfulness? Nah. And so let's go to Isaiah 38, 18. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living they praise you. As I am doing today. Parents tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will sing with string instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Isaiah broke out in fresh praise. And, you know, one of the things about the song, The Blessing, is that, that we may tell their children and the children's children. Now, I'm not sure if Hezekiah already had children by the time Isaiah said, like, you're about to die. But how many of you guys know that if you die right now, you don't have children? And your children cannot proclaim God's faithfulness because you died. In a sense, what I'm talking about. Because you're going to show your children just like Jared's dad shows him how to praise the Lord. Amen. So the thing is, though, what does King Hezekiah and David have in common? They acknowledged that they needed his help and mercy. How many of us acknowledge that you need God's help and mercy? Not just once in a while, not just on every Sunday, not every Wednesday, but every day. Now. The only way for you to get mercy, though, is that you have to acknowledge that you did something wrong. 
Because the definition of mercy is I did not get what I deserve. I'm going to put an example. If you're driving, some of you guys drive by now. Some of you guys wish you guys drive. But the thing is, though, if you're driving down the street and the, the street's 25 miles per hour, but you're going to a, a top 60 over here and the cop pulls you over, the cop has every right to give you a ticket. But if he says, I'll let you be, I won't give it to you. You did not get what you deserve, and that is mercy. Now, if he gave you $1,000 in extra, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to give you a ticket, and I'm going to give you $1,000 extra. That's called grace. You did not get what you deserve. You get what you don't deserve, I mean. And the, the thing is, though, the only way to get out of sin is to acknowledge that one has sinned. Therefore, one cannot normalize sin because then it takes that person's ability to get out of the behavior that they're in and to receive mercy and grace. So I'm going to put an example. If you're saying pedophilia, it's not a sin. If you're saying stealing, it's not a sin. If you're saying even homosexuality, it's not a sin. Then that removes your ability to get mercy and grace. Because you don't need it. Because you don't acknowledge that. Therefore, because you normalize it, you can't get mercy or grace. We need the mercy and grace of God to get out of hell. Because the dead cannot proclaim his faithfulness or his praises. Why am I going to proclaim God for saving me if I don't need to be saved? Why do I have to say God deliver me from the situation if I don't think I'm in a situation? The thing of the situation on earth is that this earth is fallen and we need the grace and mercy of our God. And that is through Jesus Christ. God does not want us to go to hell and that is why he saved you. Amen. And this is what I'm talking about earlier. The thing is that salvation alone used to be enough for Christians to praise God. Now it's only if he does this or that miracle, then we will praise. God, if you give him my boyfriend, now, my girlfriend, my future wife, my future husband, then I'll praise you. God, if I, if I get that promotion at work, if I get a raise, I'll praise you. You know, I was going through a situation last week around a Wednesday. And, no, Monday. It was Monday, never mind. And, um... The thing is that I, I, I remember the Holy Spirit started singing a song in me. And I got a little surprised in me because usually when I get, I, I get a little breakdown or I, I just weep before the Lord, He usually comforts me with a song. And sometimes the song makes sense, but sometimes I'm like, why is this song in my head? It's true. And the song was in Spanish and the, pretty much the song is called Thanks. That's what the song is called in Spanish. It says, thanks. Thank you. And the song pretty much says, you have taken me in your arms and you have given me salvation. And you have poured out your love upon my heart. And therefore, I give you thanks. God is telling me my salvation should be enough for you to praise me. My salvation should be enough for you to worship me. I learned a quick lesson and he confirmed it to me the other day. I was like, wow, that's so true. Because... Jesus alone saves and gives eternal life. 
And if you're not excited about that, then you kind of lost a little bit of your feverness and you lost a little bit of the passion that you had for God at once. Because the person that's probably in your house, the person that's probably across the street from you, the person that's on the Zoom class with you right now needs salvation as much as you did. They need you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because you don't know when that person is their last day. And like I said, the grave does not proclaim God's praises. As many of you guys know that my spiritual father passed away this weekend. I was planning to visit him next month. I actually wanted to visit him the last couple weeks, but I didn't want to go because he's very sensitive. And if I had the Rona, I didn't want to be blamed for that he died because of me. Luckily, he didn't even die of a disease. He just died because he stopped breathing. And I'm pretty sure he probably died alive. How do I know that? Because he never slept that night. He was a night owl. He probably slept until 5, 6 in the morning. I'm pretty sure that when he died, if this is right, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm pretty sure he was just looking up and he probably saw the Lord coming for him and he just went, <sighs> he gave up his spirit, I believe. The thing is though, I thought he was, a, I wanted him to actually see me be ordained one day. I actually wanted him to meet my children one day. And I'll never get that chance. I actually wanted, the last time we went with some of you guys to that church, I actually wanted him to pray for some of you guys. But he wasn't there that night. The thing is though, he went to sleep. And I know he woke up in heaven. But those that don't receive Jesus Christ as a Savior, you cannot count on that. That they they will proclaim God's goodness and faithfulness. So where is God's glory whom brought us from death to life, from hell to heaven, and from sin to righteousness? Where is God's glory that is due to his name? It was because of Jesus Christ that we now come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy. He made our glory sing his praises all day long with singing and dancing. We don't need to go to Sean Foyt's revival nights to become crazy for Jesus. We could become crazy for Jesus right here. We just got to cultivate and say, God, thank you for my salvation. Thank you that I was once dead and now I'm alive in you and I'm seated in heavenly realms with you. Amen. God has a way of delivering you. Go to Psalms 86 verse 13. The psalm says, for great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. God's love for David was constantly revealed to him as God delivered David from the realm of the dead. Because God loves you. That's why he rescues you. For the Bible has said so. The Bible said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. And he made it known to the world. But the world... Did not know him, neither did he receive him. They crucified the God of glory. And there's always hope for David as he will cry out to God for mercy and help because of his past encounters with God and how he saved them. The thing is, that's what I keep saying. Experience matters. God has saved me more than once in this lifetime. Not just from hell, but he saved me from a lot of situations. And so even though I know I might not feel God, I might understand God, 
not understand God, I mean. I know that he will come and deliver me. I have an example. Seven rats was conducted an experiment. These seven rats were put into a little tub of water to swim, to see how long they swam for. They lasted only 10 minutes and drowned. Then the guy put another seven rats in there. But before the 10th minute, he got them out of the ninth minute, dried them and gave them something to eat and then put them back in the tub. These rats swam for 30 minutes. He did the same thing and then it went to two hours. He did the same thing until eventually the next day they swam for over 30 hours. What's the difference between the first group and the second group? Is that the rats had hope. The rats knew that there was this hand that was going to reach down when they were about to give up, pick them up when they were tired, weary, and it was going to refresh them, dry them off, and give them something to eat. We have hope because we will know that God will come through us and he will reach down and deliver us out of deep waters and the pit. Amen. He already did it by us reaching down to earth because Christianity is God reaching to humanity, not humanity reaching for God. And he got us out of hell's clutches. Amen. He did already the most impossible thing that any person could ever do. Why he cannot he do the rest? If you're going through a tough situation, you have hope. You have hope that God will help you through your sin and what you're going through. And these times, especially 2020 now, there's fires September. Seems like every month there's something new, a new plague, right? All over the world. And the best is yet to come. We shall see November. In death or in dark times, we can cry out to Jesus for mercy and help. But we got to acknowledge that you need his mercy and his help. Amen? The thing is, though, many people don't acknowledge that they need the mercy and help. Or they probably do. But they're so quick to forget because they like... Some people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see them like once or twice at church and they leave. Why is that? Or they're like, they kind of follow you like, oh, yeah, yeah, tell me what to do. And they leave. I remember one, some of you guys know who he is, but he, the last time he came to this church, he said, Isaac, thank you for everything. Hope everything goes well. And he left. I never seen him after that. Because he thought it was just a quick thing. He thought it was just a, a monthly thing. Or a weekly thing, I think. I don't know what it was in his mind. But I know for sure that living the godly life and working out our salvation is a daily thing. And you must remember that your glory is designed to worship something. And now what does the, the first verses of Ephesians say is that the spirit of the air... It's not working in all those who are disobedient. Disobedient to what? Disobedient to the gospel. Disobedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the devil doesn't want you to believe in Jesus Christ, neither less so persevere in it. See, my spiritual father, he, he encountered many critics, many things in his life that, made a lot, that will make a lot of people give up. But not, he never did. And inspires me that I can too finish my race someday. 
I don't know when that will be, when I will leave to heaven. But it inspires me that I know I can do it too. That morning that he died, there was a song in my head. And the song is called More Than Conquerors. By the way, he was the founder of his church and the church was called More Than Conquerors. And I woke up and I was like, why do I have that song? Maybe the Holy Spirit is just trying to remind me of my identity, that I'm more than a conqueror. A few hours later, I found out he's dead. Or he went, he passed away with the Lord. He was truly more than a conqueror. Couldn't walk. Couldn't do most of what we have today. What we take for granted. Waking up in the morning. Could feed ourselves, brush our own teeth. And he finished his race. But you know what I know, though, is that he finished his race and he was born that way for the glory of God. And his glory to the end worshiped the Lord with all his heart and mind. Now, remember that your glory is worshiping something. Do you worship the same God who is the same yesterday, today and forever? Or are you worshiping your own purposes? Or maybe perhaps you're starting to be deceived that you cannot make it. Maybe you lost a little bit of passion. Maybe just like David, you became complacent. And you're like, I already got saved. I already know this. I already know that. But the time will come when God will take you up to be with him. Now, will you say to Jesus, I finished my race? Or will you say, God, I got complacent. And God's like, I did the impossible for you. I saved you from your sins when you couldn't. We need a fresh break forth of praise and PJ. Amen. We need not to be motionless and silent that Oh, we already know this and that, Pastor Isaac. Okay, I never asked you what you know. I just hope that you finish your race and you praise God daily, at least weekly, every day actually, for your salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit was reminding me, saying like, be grateful for your salvation. Perhaps you may not have this or that, Isaac, but you have me. And that is enough because there is nothing better than Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the message for today. That's the theme that we're doing this month that God has. He started speaking to me even a couple weeks before September started. He told me, tell the teens that there's nothing better than me. There's nothing better than my presence. You go around the world Eat at the fanciest restaurants. Have the fanciest clothes, fanciest things, everything. But nothing comes close to the glory, the Shekinah glory of our Lord. And nothing comes close to the holy word that his word is true and that one day he will come for his people. Are we ready? Are we ready to tell the world Jesus loves you? And you don't have to go to hell. Because the hell does not proclaim God's faithfulness and his goodness. In hell, there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of sorrow, anguish, desperation. Now, this is not to scare you, but it's to tell you the truth. Don't ever come to PJ and say, there's nothing new I could learn. Don't ever come 
to God's feet and tell him, I already know everything, God. No, we can't have that attitude and posture before the Lord who gives us daily mercy and grace, whose mercies are new every morning. And we have the eternal hope of glory with us. That's why I hope that someday I'll enter to the pearly white gates and look at Jesus. I said, I finished my race and look at my pastor. I said, your race was not in vain because I know my pastor. He discipled many people. And a lot of those people don't even follow the Lord. Some of them just follow him. They're not in the ways of the Lord. But his thing, his service to the Lord will not be in vain in my life. At least I pray so. That I may finish my race. Because he told me when I was 16, 17. He said, Isaac, I know you have a call in your life. And sometimes in this road, it could get lonely. It could, can't, it could get, I want to quit. What's the point of all this? But the point of all this is to tell all humanity, you don't have to go to hell. There's the good news, the gospel. And maybe in your walk with God, maybe you have grown cold. Maybe you've grown lukewarm. Maybe you've grown, what's the point in all this? I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over that. We'll get over this. That God loves you. And that his salvation is a gift and not by works but by grace and mercy alone. But we got to acknowledge that. We got to acknowledge that it was by His mercy and grace. But do you acknowledge that though tonight? Do you acknowledge that? Do you need that? How many of you guys say you need that? Amen, amen. He delivered us from the cords of death. Now I don't know where all the way where God is taking us this year. PJ, but we have hope. Even if the world falls down, even though the world is chaotic, maybe we have a civil war. How many guys will still believe in Jesus Christ? Amen. Stand up to your feet.